Let's pray. Gracious God, you are our creator. You created us in your image and you are our redeemer. For all of us who put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, you have redeemed us through his death and through his blood. God, we thank you for who you are. And God, um, we confess that we do not always put you in the place that you deserve, the place that you, you should occupy in our world and in our lives and in our thinking. <clears throat> and so God, uh, we're, we're uh, challenging ourselves with a series that isn't an easy one, looking at uh, the issues of our world, and many of them draw us away from you. We make decisions about things that are not necessarily in line with what we say that we believe about you. And so, God, we're going to tackle a little bit more of that today. God, just uh, ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears that uh, where we need to be convicted, if so, that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit, where we need to be encouraged or strengthened. God, that you would do that as well, but that we would be able to see the world that we live in, the world around us, for what it really is. And, God, that uh, we would walk away with a desire to know you better and to serve you greater. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God is at work in our world, so is the enemy of God. The enemy of God is at work as well. And it can feel to some of us at times like the enemy is winning the war. Well, he may be winning an individual battle, but we know, reading the book of Revelation, that it is God who wins the war. That doesn't mean that it isn't tough to get through. This series is a challenging series. I, I suppose it has to be. But I realized that I realized a few things this week. One of them, I realized that my job, my job as a preacher is to prepare you to meet Jesus. Because one day every person on this earth is going to meet him face to face, whether you say you believe in him or not. Even if you say he doesn't exist, he's made up in the minds of sick people who just need a crutch. Every one of us is going to meet Jesus face to face. And part of my job here is to prepare you to meet him. And that's not always an easy thing because some of the things that we hold on to actually don't get us any closer to him. They take us away from him. And so the series is what in the world is going on with our world? It seems like there's this strange brew of thinking that's combining facts and perspective and opinion and personal history. And it all works out to us believing what we want to believe. So after last Sunday, I don't know about your week, but my week was rather enlightening along with some lightning and high winds and rain. It's an interesting week. I asked you not long ago, how many of you believe 100% of the Bible is true? Not parts of it, not the stuff you like, not just the things that you've read. How many of you believe that 100% of it is true? And there was this resounding, yes, we do. We believe that the Bible is true. Even though there's some parts of it that we don't like or that don't make us feel good or that maybe don't fit our agenda, either we accept all of God's Word or we reject all of God's Word. That's just the way that it is. And sometimes when we run into things, whether it's because a preacher says them or we read it in the Bible, that we don't like, our response is to get defensive. And when we get defensive, we get offended. And we get offended. I talked about a couple of weeks ago. That is one of the tools that Satan uses against us. If he can just convince you that you have a right to be offended... Oh, whatever that person said, I don't care whether it comes from the Bible or not. I don't agree with it. And what Satan does is drives a wedge between people. Husbands and wives, parents and children, friends and co-workers, even people that say that they put, believe 100% of the Bible is true. So it seems it doesn't really matter how much I say my goal is not to offend you. For some of us, it's going to happen anyway. 
I'm hoping only to challenge you about what it is that you believe and why you believe it. Do you believe it because it fits your life story? You do believe it because it fits God's story in his word. The whole point of this is to challenge our thinking. So my job is really to interpret the culture around us and speak God's word into it. Because if we don't start with the foundation of God's word, we get absorbed by the culture. And that's what's happening. So this week after last Sunday, I got to be honest, I took a day and I sat in my office early in the week and I decided I'm going to put it on cruise control and rest for this week. I am not going to tackle anything tough. I'm not going to go through that again. Uh, this is going to be an easy week. So I, I'm thinking, what would be lighthearted? What would be fun? What would be completely outside the realm of misrepresentation? What could we talk about that nobody would misunderstand? Something wholesome and innocent like Disney. <sighs> See, we can't even agree on Disney. I mean, you think about it, we can't even agree on Disney. Disney is now the poster child for the woke movement in America. Not even Disney. There's people that walked out after first service and said, what's going on with Disney? My hope is to send you home reading more of your Bible. I think they're going to go home and pull up Google. Disney's decided to jump headfirst into this deep end of the pool of the social agenda movement with some very strong statements both in their movies and in the press about the company and their response to it, they put everything they have into producing films. And the word that is used now is normalized, that normalize behaviors and lifestyles among their bread and butter audience. And who is Disney's bread and butter audience? The youngest members of our society, our children. And what's happening in America isn't new. In fact, it's been going on for decades. And Disney is just the latest one. Disney is the latest one to jump on board. So all of that got me thinking then, what in the world do we really need to understand about this? What's going on with the world? And the idea that came to me is the question, what do we worship? What do you worship? And we all want to say God. But what do you worship? What do you love and put your time and money into? What do you love so much that you'll protect it? What's, what do you love enough that you will fight for it and be offended by it? Because what we love and give our time and money to is what we worship. It really is. And if you think about your life, there's the very best of who you are, the best of your time, the best of your resources, the best of who you are. Does it go back to God in some way or does it go to something else? Because the very best of us goes to what we worship. So let's talk about what what some people choose to worship besides God. Now, maybe these things point to you. Maybe they don't. But they're all a part of what's happening today. And so in terms of interpreting culture and bringing God's word to it, I realize that at the end of the day, worship is either God or is at the root of the problem, one or the other. And are we really worshiping God first and foremost, or are we worshiping these other things that are social and political issues that we're told we have to make the right decision about? I'm going to challenge you today and say the first and foremost decision that you've got to make is what do you believe about God, who do you believe Jesus is, and how much of God's Word do you believe? That's where we have to start. Mark 12:30 says, "You shall love this is Jesus speaking. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all of your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no other commandment greater than these." That means that the very best of who we are, the best of our thinking and our living and our acting and our doing 
should all be about being faithful to God and His Word and to love the people that are around us. That should be where we begin. So are are you loving the people that God has put around you in your life? Your family, your co-workers, people you go to school with? Are you loving people like God loves you or are you just loving the people that love you back? Do you love the people that like you a lot? How about do you love your enemies? How are you doing on that simple thing of Jesus? Because if we really look at it, an awful lot of what's happening in America is we've lost sight of that. See, there's, there's very real people in American politics and American education that have spent years working on this, this new way of thinking in our country. And the idea is that there's no absolute truth and that all truth is personal truth. It's whatever you want to believe. There's no absolute truth found anywhere. And yet if we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is what his word promises, that there is an absolute truth, truth, and that is God. See, that platform says that absolute truth is relative to the individual. And because they say there's absolutely no truth that's absolute and foundational, it actually began as a way to undermine Christian and biblical truth. And it started quite a few years ago. So if you can normalize the idea that there's a variety of versions of the truth out there on any given subject and you can pick the one that works best for you, then they can control. And I told you that so much of this is about controlling both power and media and politics. They can control and rewrite the narrative because that's the word that we're hearing and eventually rewrite the history. And before you know it, our history as a people isn't even what it used to be. The history that is written may not have anything to do with history It has occurred, and we see and we hear this happening all the time, but it comes in little bits and pieces, and so we just kind of brush it off. And unfortunately, sometimes we might even buy into it so much that we contribute to it. There's this brainwashing that has been going on in America and around the world. It started decades ago. We were introduced to it as a family when uh, we were living at seminary. Our oldest daughter went to a really cool school uh, in a small suburb, a neat grade school, uh, just Awesome families, awesome kids. And part of what was fun about it was it was truly multicultural in that a lot of those kids didn't speak English as their first language. And our oldest daughter came home and she had picked up different Chinese dialects and said, no, dad, that's Mandarin. You don't say it that way. That, this is Cantonese. That's, this is how they say it. And she wasn't showing off. It was just the world she was living in. And it was just great. It was this multicultural melting pot with a dozen different languages spoken among the students. And the principal was proud to promote this educational environment that he talked about as being multiple versions of truth. The truth is relative to your language and ethnicity and religion and choice. And that educational environment, because now it's 25 years down the road, those kids are mid-20s to 40-something in there. And that gave birth to the woke culture of today. All truth is relative. There is no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, which is what this thinking that has taken over our country and our world says, that means there's no room for God in that thinking because God is, in fact, absolute truth. And that, my friends, if you're keeping track of the political world, is the foundation of atheism and socialism. In two and a half decades, arbitrary and individual truth has been normalized to that is now the truth of today. So if it's not the will or the truth of God, it is not the will or the truth of God if it is not in God's word. Because God's word is the absolute truth for our world. 
See, that truth that they want us to accept is whatever we happen to choose as true for our lives, and then it's expected that it's accepted by everyone else. So the logical result of this thinking that started 25 and 30 years ago is this. If you meet a man who sees himself as a woman, you're expected to accept his truth of being a woman as valid and allow him without any question or hesitation into the women's changing rooms and restrooms. And if you don't, it's because there's something wrong with you. You're not woke. You're filled with hatred. You're the problem. Because there's no absolute truth. You can be whatever you want to be. But the fact is, we know in Scripture that isn't true. And so it goes on, and it goes for students in school who are having to deal with things that take their minds a million miles away from learning anything helpful to grow up as adults in our culture. All the way to the U.S. government with the latest versions of our passport that have offered three different choices for gender. Now, the passport is the one thing that is supposed to be able to prove you are who you are. And there's three choices now. You can choose male or female or X for other. I'm not sure what other really is. See, but that's the new truth in our world. That woke thinking is part of what's gone wrong. We've completely blurred and crossed the lines so far that we've just gotten rid of all the lines. And yet God gave us clear outlines in Scripture. We're told to respect the science when it's in the best interest of big business and government, but we're, we're not told to respect the science when it comes to God's created identity for every human that's ever been born. We're told to respect my body, my choice, unless it's the body of one too young to be able to speak for itself that we're supposed to be caring for. And now good old family-friendly Disney has planted itself square in the heart of the problem, and they're reaching our youngest ones with an entirely new message. So it it occurred to me this week, and this was kind of troubling, that the real question that we need to be asking as Christians is not what's wrong with the world or with other people. It's what's taken us away from our foundation in God. Why do we as Christians so easily capitulate when someone says that they're going to threaten us or scare us or or tell the world that we're bad people? What, what, What is so wrong with standing for God's truth? So let me repeat that. The real question that we need to be asking as Christians is this. I don't expect the rest of the world to ask this question. But as Christians, it's not what's wrong with the world or other people, but what is taking us away from our foundation in God? Because most people, when you read the studies out there, the Bible is either a book full of good advice or it's somewhere between 50 and 80% true and trustworthy. God didn't give us that option. Why are we so quick? Why are we so quick to say yes to every request, every opportunity, every kid's sport or event or anything else that we could possibly do that would take us away from church that would help to root us in our foundation of Scripture? Why are we so quick to do that? So do we show the world by the decisions on our time and our money that our belief in God and our connection to His church is more important to us than anything else that comes along? Or do we just throw it into the mix of great possibilities for a Sunday morning? Do we as followers of Jesus show a compelling reason for someone wanting to know Jesus better? They say the Christian church is in decline on the whole as the U.S. I would guess it's in decline because people don't see a lot of relevance in it anymore. And I wonder if that's because as Christians, does our joy speak for itself? Do our positive comments and our conversations about people and events 
inspire people to want to know what is the source of the joy and the kindness and the peace in you? What does the Jesus that you say you believe in and represent show other people about him? What do your unspoken but well-lived-out priorities tell people? Do you really believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forever? Because if he's not, and if his Bible isn't 100% trustworthy and true, then they're right. There is no absolute truth. But as Christians, we believe in the absolute truth of the God who is presented to us in his word. And as Christians, we need to believe 100% of it. So hear me clearly. I truly believe that people who get up early on a beautiful sunny day on fishing opener weekend truly want God to be their first priority. I really do. I really do believe that you and I want to be the very best followers of Jesus that we can. I also believe that we take that love that we have for him for granted. And when we do that, it's easily lost. And the world will step in, the world will swoop in and take that affection and attention and absolutely devour it. And so I'm going to go back again and say, what is the greatest responsibility that we have here to prepare you to meet Jesus face to face? Because the day will come when you will. You will meet him face to face. Revelation 2, starting in verse 3, talking about the church in Ephesus. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this argument against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's not what we want to have happen to us. You've forsaken your first love. When we take our attention and our affection and turn it away from Jesus and what God has for us, what we're called to do for him very quickly without even thinking about it, we fall to the idols of this world and how quickly we grow cold trying to fill the hole in our hearts that's meant to be filled by God alone. If we're created in God's image, we're created with a space in us that only a relationship with God and Jesus will ever be able to satisfy. And yet the world tells us there's a million ways to make yourself feel better. But at the end of the day, none of them are sufficient. When we look for the things of this world to fill us up and satisfy us, we will always be disappointed and we will forever keep looking. Our world is is full of people who are are chasing pleasure and identity and self-worth from things that will not satisfy them. The problem is we don't always recognize them. We don't recognize that we're choosing them over God. So let's take some time and let's take a look at them. What are the things that the world puts out there? See, we looked last week at the Antichrist and how the Antichrist is going to to come from power. And when he comes to power, it's all going to be from the devil. All of the power will be from the devil. His goal, like the devil's goal has been from the beginning, is to destroy the world and the people in it, to forever separate us from God. And so what does he do? How does he do that? The devil makes lies look lovely and sin look satisfying. He's crafty, he's subtle, he's and he's deceitful. So let's interpret the culture that is really around us and take a look at the way that he puts things in front of us to lead us away from Jesus. So to do that, we've got to be honest and responsible, And we've got to look at the problems in our world and our part and our heart in them. And sometimes people are so quick to point out the faults and the sins of others without ever looking at what's going on in their own life. 
it seems to me that the most reasonable way to begin to do that is to say, what are our priorities really? What are the things that matter most? Ultimately, what do you worship? What is most important to you? What are the things that you can't imagine not being able to live without? Maybe it's a person, a relationship, a thing, a car, a building, a business, a bank account. The first commandment says we're to have no other gods before me. And we think that living out that commandment is the best way, the best way to be a good Christian, right? And sometimes it's our religion that actually might be the very thing that's getting us away from God. Because you see, if you're chasing this, this view of religion that you've crafted, that you've curated this God in your image, rather than realizing that you are in the image of God, We try to get people to agree with our version of Christianity. They want us to agree with us and tell us that we're right. And that view of Christianity might divide you from people and you might end up getting offended by them. And then you need to realize that religion is your problem. And maybe you're lacking your relationship with Jesus. The world will devour that. Think about this for a moment. We're called to put our faith and hope in God and what God has done for us in Jesus and made it possible for us to know security in our salvation. The only part that we have in that is to believe. And then we begin to live for Him. That's faith in Jesus. However, a lot of us put our confidence in what we think that we know about Jesus, what we believe about Jesus, our understanding of faith, the way we've put it together, and we believe in our faith and our knowledge of faith. We believe in our own goodness and and thinking that we're faithful. And when we do that, what we really have is faith in our faith, not faith in Jesus. Faith in how much I know or how much I've studied or how much I've learned. What we have faith in is what we choose to believe about God the way that we fashioned Him in our own mind and our own image. And yet if we're people of faith who are living and trusting in God through Jesus, it's that living relationship that we really need to have faith in. That Jesus is alive both in our world and in us. And then we're not going to fall victim to all this stuff that's going on around us because we're not going to have this false sense of confidence in ourselves rather than in Jesus. Remember, God was not created by us to be in our image. We were lovingly created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And yet what the Christian church of the day has done so good is crafting a God and a Jesus in the image that we want Him to be. But that's not the option that Scripture gives us. Then we see this huge shift around the world today towards nationalism. And the shift towards nationalism is a response to globalism. But remember now, globalism, as we call it around the world, is actually what we see the Antichrist bringing about in Revelation. Don't get afraid of it. It's going to happen. If not during our lifetimes, it's coming. And the book of Revelation helps us to understand it. It has to happen before Jesus returns. But what that looks like in reality and how we live it out is that citizens are encouraged to put their hope in politicians who promise the country that the people think that they deserve in the face of of this growing dominance by these institutions that seem to be taking over things like banking and food and oil and gas distribution. With the war between Russia and Ukraine, we're seeing a whole shift in our understanding as a result of the pandemic of how fragile the delivery systems are in our country. And so what we do is we look to politicians to create new answers, and this leads to this nationalism, and we like to hide under the banner of the red, white, and blue, and we call it patriotism. 
but it really doesn't have much to do with God at all. So all of this pushes our attention and our affection and our faith to politics and policies instead of a love for faith in Jesus. So I've said this before, I'll say it again. If your friends and your family and your coworkers, they know what political party you're a part of, they know what you believe in politics, you know what stand you take, they know what side of the aisle you're on, more than that you are a child of God, that you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm afraid that that becomes part of the problem. See, Jesus is the solution, not our political identity. So what do you worship? Where do you give your time, your affection, your attention, your money, your best selves to? What do you find yourself in disagreement with others about to the point of maybe being divided and offended from them? Is it issues like we talked on last week, abortion? (laughs) There's some people still miffed with me about that one. You know what I read this week? The American atheists have said that they're going to give uh, religious-based exemptions. You heard that correctly. The American atheists said they're going to give religious-based exemptions to anyone who is turned away in their desire to end the life of their unborn child. The American atheists, that's not the group that I want to be associated with. I talked in a message a while ago about we get the choice in this life to decide what side of history do we want to be on. With all these issues that are out there, you need to decide which side of history you're going to be on. You can be on the side of the loud group, or maybe you're on the side of the quiet group. But I want to challenge you to make sure you're on the side of God. How about issues like critical race theory? Critical race theory is a, is a legal understanding. It was never intended to be a school curriculum that essentially asserts that in politics and economics and different parts of our society, that there is an inherent racism that goes through everything. And what has grown out of that is this assertion that white infants are born racist. It's ridiculous. Racism is, racism is taught. I know that because the Bible says we're all created in God's image. And God in his wisdom used this incredible palette of colors to create the skin tones of human beings, all of whom are created in his image. And God is not a racist. The Bible makes that clear. God created us unique and different and all in his image. That's not a very popular position to say what I just said. But you know what? If the Bible is true and if it's the only absolute truth, then that statement is true. We we worship Things like being insistent upon being recognized by our gender identity or our desire for gender reassignment, which you can't, you haven't heard these things five years ago. How about gender dysphoria? I know that's a phrase you haven't heard about, right? And yet it's all over the place. And I bet you if you're, if you're not going to school, if you don't work in an office environment or uh, maybe you go to school online, I bet you've never started a meeting or a gathering with introductions where you share your name. And then you give your pronouns to the group. Some of you are going, huh, what are you talking about? Here's an example, because I lived through this. Hello, my name is Steve. I identify as he and him. But that's not actually what I said. I said, hi, my name is Steve. I identify as his. Got really awkwardly quiet. But see, in this world that we live in, you can be whomever and whatever you want. And if people don't agree with you, then you're the problem. And all of it is endorsed and supported and promoted by a growing number of frightened companies who are afraid of crossing the line and getting people angry with them. It's even supported and promoted by our current administration. It's even supported by Disney. But you know what? I had a breakthrough this week. Disney might be my new Oprah. And 
the idea that this company that we trust, this government that we trust, suddenly isn't looking out for us anymore. And what we have to do is be prepared. We've got to be more wise than we are in a lot of cases. And I'm not trying to play politics in any way, shape, or form here. If you wonder how insistent our current administration is on helping in all of this, do your own Google search on your current United States Assistant Secretary for Health. That Google search will help you understand. If you decide you don't want to endorse and agree with and support all of this, there's a new phrase that's been come up with that too. It's called you're canceled. Cancel culture mobs have taken over our nation. They've succeeded in canceling. Get this, not Disney. That's getting promoted. They canceled Dr. Seuss. Canceled Columbus Day. They've canceled J.K. Rowling of the Harry Potter series. Ellen DeGeneres for something that she said, people said about her work environment. They've canceled numerous statues that have been toppled over and torn down. Even huge events, huge chunks of world history have been canceled because they don't fit the new narrative. And if you think that Christianity and Jesus aren't next, just wait for it. Pieces are already in place. See, it seems that we've thrown out the idea of being able to respectfully discuss and disagree with each other. See, personally, I'd I'd love it if everybody I knew would accept God's free gift of salvation in Jesus. But if they choose not to, that's their choice. God gave them that choice. I'm not going to be mad at them. I'm not going to hate them. I'm not going to try to humiliate them. I'm certainly not going to cancel them. And despite what the world wants to say about us as Christians, I realize not everybody is going to agree with me. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop caring about them. doesn't mean I have to stop praying for them. And so with all of this pressure, some, some worshiping religions and politicians, they tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear from God. And that's the problem. Because we don't all know what God has said to us. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel to the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember, you are created in the image of God as well. It denies... This world denies through religions that Jesus is the Son of God. Religions like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness deny the full divinity of Christ as God's only Son and our Savior. There's another huge world religion out there that I'm not allowed to mention in public that also denies the divinity of Christ. But that's not all. That's not all that we worship. See, worship is when we turn our hearts towards something that isn't God. And so there are people who willingly bow to the sun in yoga and we call it meditation. I don't believe in it. You know what? You're taking part of an ancient 5,000, 10,000 year Hindu religious ritual. You say, well, it's only exercise. Well, you know what? Hey, Oprah also says there's many ways to God. What are you going to believe? What are you going to choose to believe? Where are you going to draw the line? We've also figured out in America a way to worship our own image. We don't just worship ourselves. We figured out how to worship our own image, our own best image. Instagram, Facebook, online blogs. All the while, it's God alone that deserves our worship. And then we put ourselves out there for people to be awed about this slice of our life that they, we want them to see. And it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. It all goes back to Scripture. The way that the serpent twisted God's word and tempted, an Adam, tempted Adam and Eve to choose. When God gave Adam and Eve the garden, he gave them the entire garden. There's only one thing that he said. He says, as for the tree of life, leave it alone. Do not eat the fruit from it. That's all God said. There wasn't even a choice involved. There was just to say no. 
That's all. And then Satan comes along. The serpent shows up. God's will has been made clear, just like the Bible makes God's will clear. The serpent shows up, and the serpent says, did God really say? And they must have had quite an interesting conversation before they chose to do the one thing God told them not to do. But see, America and around the world, the enemy knows that we love our right to choose. See, the very same people that have political power, they beat the drum for freedom and individual choice for all, at the very same time are eliminating and blocking the right to choose freely for others. You see, so much of false religion, so much of what steers people away from God is the whole notion of hypocrisy. Say one thing and do another. And it's interesting because people have always used that as against Christians. Well, I'd never become a Christian because you're all hypocrites. You know what? If your definition of hypocrite is someone who knows that they're a sinner, sinner who's saved by God's grace, makes me a hypocrite. Okay, all of us sometimes do things that we say that we don't believe in and don't agree with. But we're also forgiven. 1 John 1, 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light and He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Taking an honest look at our world and our place in it and our actions is what they're talking about. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. A Christian, maybe sometimes I've, I've run into a few of them. They said, I've grown beyond sinning. I don't sin anymore. The Bible says you're deceiving yourselves and you're a hypocrite. When we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins. When I identify as His, it's because I know that I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus alone, period. Amen. Thank you. How do you identify? Why is it so important to be clear about what the Bible says about sin? Because if we decide that we no longer sin, and we tell people that that things are okay, we're responsible for them. If we pass laws about things that the Bible says are sin, if we make okay in the public square things the Bible says are, are not sin, then people will never ever have the knowledge that they should come to God for forgiveness because God will forgive them of their sins. And we've created a country that we've made it legal, and so we assume that it's not sinning anymore. We're responsible for them never coming to the knowledge of the truth and receiving forgiveness. And that is an incredible responsibility. What's wrong with our world? Simple. Satan has deceived the minds of so many people. We say that sin is no longer sin and we pass laws to legalize it. We take the good things of God and rather than being grateful for them and and using them as they were intended, instead we are created in His image, and we say that God's good creation isn't as important as what we want for ourselves, and that's the root of sin. God, I understand what you said, but I don't like that, so I'm going to do this instead. And if you think that it's getting close to the end, the enemy's just heating up the battle, folks. If we're not prepared with God's truth, we'll be swept up and swept away by Satan's lies. And so just like they're challenging 
people today to choose their pronouns, I'm going to challenge you to choose your truth and choose it carefully. Choose what you believe and why. Choose the ground that you'll stand on because eternity is at stake. Yours and your responsibility for everybody that you share your truth with. And in the end, the Bible says, faith, hope, and love remains. But the greatest of these is love. So next week, we're going to talk a look at what do we do? Where can the church go? We're going to talk about faith in Jesus, a living faith in Jesus. We're going to talk about hope, the hope that God gives us through Christian community, the local church. And we're going to talk about love, love that God gives us to be in relationship with other people, our family and the ones who are close to us. See, if we don't get those three straight, if we don't get grounded and rooted in them, then the world is just going to sweep us up and sweep us away. And that's Satan's plan. And that, that's, that's why this cancel culture is so strong, because people are afraid of standing against it. But to be very honest with you, I'm not as afraid of standing against them and their disapproval as I am for that day when I stand before Jesus. So when you get challenged at home, when you get challenged at work, when you get challenged at school, whether you choose to believe in Jesus or not in this lifetime, God's Word Absolute truth says one day we will stand before him. I want more than anything else to prepare you for you to be ready to meet him and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, this is tough stuff. It isn't fun. This world that we live in, this world that we've created because we're responsible for it, is such a mess. God, we have put people in positions of power. We've put them in place, and some of them have just taken over. And we know that the enemy is at work. But God, in, in so many cases, we're so ill-prepared to deal with it. We look at things like it's just normal. It's just the way that it is. But it doesn't have to be because it's not the way that you created us. It's not who you created us to be or what you created us to be. God, I just pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us strength to fall back into your truth. Not to look for something different or something more exciting or more interesting, but to realize that you are truth. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That your word is trustworthy and true. And that, God, you are absolute truth. Help us to know that. Help us to believe that. Help us to stand for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, stop and think about it for a moment. Um, There are a few people who are willing to stand and speak God's truth in our world. I think about Cindy with our young people. I think about the adult volunteers who who from kindergarten all the way through senior high who are willing to stand and face the fire with those kids. I think about our elected officials that speak for us, but some of them also speak for and stand for God. Those people are facing a firestorm right now, whether it's on the local level, the state level, or the federal level. There are some people, there are some politicians who do, there are some businessmen and women who do speak for Jesus out in the world and stand for God's truth. There are some teachers and bus drivers and plumbers and factory workers that do. We need to thank and encourage those people and we need to pray for them because the fact is there are people out there that are dying far from God because they're following the lies of this world. Maybe, maybe this week, the only one that someone has to tell them who Jesus really is and that God is the world's absolute truth is you. Maybe you're the one that God's put in their life to do just that. Next week, we're going to talk about those three things, faith, hope, and love. What can we do? Who can we, can, who can we be as Christians in this world? Not to make the problem worse, but to make the problem better.